Hello and welcome to the Two Reels Podcast, where we take a recent film and find its perfect and unexpected double feature pairing. This week, we pair two stories of love and try not to make the same damn mistake again and again. Last weekend, for the first time in forever, we finally got some new movies, including an amazing one, Palm Springs. I'm here with my hosts, Rod and Davey. How are you guys doing? So good, Joey. It's so nice to hear your voice and see your face. I know. It's been so long. <laughs> I know. I'm emotional. Dave- Davey, how are you? Did you survive the cross-country uh, voyage since Capone? <laughs> yes. Yes. So I've, uh, I've been on the road. I've been in a couple different states. People sort of view me as a walking disease right now, which is awesome. <laughs> um, but I had a chance to see you along the way, which is a lot of fun. Um, and now here I am in San Francisco, sitting in an apartment by the Castro, getting ready to record our first podcast in a while. So I'm juiced, man. Yeah. Uh, Rod, you had our pairing this week, but first off, let me thank you for making us watch an actually good new movie. I didn't think that was going to be possible for Yeah, good bounce back. (laughs) Good bounce back. Truly, of all the unexpected things of the last three months, this has proven (laughs) to be the most surprising. I can't believe something new was actually a treat. I'm so happy we got to see it. (laughs) Do Do you want to give the quick rundown of Palm Springs? Yes, Palm Springs, directed by Mark... Oh, sorry, by Max Barbacow, which is famously another way to say barbecue, and no one's talking about that in this country, actually. <laughs> Written by Andy Ciara. I should practice these names, I think, earlier. Um, the film stars Andy Samberg and uh, Kristen Milioti um, as Niles and Sarah, and they're two wedding attendees who, through a series of... Bizarre circumstances find themselves stuck in a time loop where they're forced to relive the same day again and again at a wedding in Palm Springs. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. That I might have heard about? Yeah. The second you fall asleep, it all just goes back to the start. I drove all the way back home to Austin, and I still woke up here. One time, I smoked a bunch of crystal and made it all the way to Equatorial Guinea. It was a huge waste of time. Well, then what's the point of living? We kind of have no choice but to live. No, I'm gonna get out of this. Suit yourself. See you tomorrow. It is a comedy that was purchased at Sundance at like a record price. So there was like a lot of buzz about this movie before COVID. I don't know too much of what its original release strategy was, but it had been bought for, I think like $17.5 million, which is like the highest Sundance bid in a while and was acquired by Hulu and Neon. And then Corona hit. And now the film is available for streaming on Hulu and it's a very, very, very divine, original-ish comedy, I thought. What did you guys think of it? I really liked it. I thought it was really fun. I watched it with my mom and dad, who are in their 70s. Uh, my dad laughed, and my mom walked out. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah, surprisingly. The reviews she's short are on patience. Yeah, she's short on patience. But uh, I loved it. I thought it was really good. I think my fear was that... Like, I'm not a huge rom-com guy. They, I tend to find them a little too predictable and, like, 
often kind of boring and like painful. And this movie was a rom-com, but without a lot of those classic notes that I think bother me. It didn't feel cheesy or vomity. Uh, and then it also was like weird, but in like a fun way, not in a like, okay, we get it. You're trying to be a weird movie way. So I thought like it hit all the right notes for what it was. And I love Andy Sandberg. And for almost the entire movie, I thought the woman was Alison Brie. I was wrong. And so, <laughs> very pleased to be wrong. Cause I was like, this is the best Alison Brie performance I've ever seen. And I was like, Oh no, that's, it's just not her. That's why it's good. Ugh, we, we are forever students. The power of that, that we are always yeah. learning. Yeah. I'm not a huge Alison Brie fan, but I'm always like desperate to like her more than I do sound off in the comments. Like anyone, I don't know why there's just some like je ne sais quoi missing from her. And it's her eyes. It's this girl's eyes. I know what you mean about the Alison yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I think Joey has kind of a different take on Alison Brie. So, Joe, what do you think of the movie and of Alison Brie? Uh, I mean, I would say firstly, <laughs> Alison Brie is very hot. <laughs> She's a beautiful woman. Beautiful woman. And Horse Girl didn't work, but it, like, did not work because of Alison Brie. She was giving a performance, all right? And I saw it in a theater pretty soon before theater stopped being a thing, so... I have a special soft spot for <laughs> Alison Brie. But, and for uh, horse girls the, everywhere. You're kind of burying the lead. You're actually a horse girl yeah. stance. <laughs> I'm actually so a I horse don't, girl myself. I don't, know what, I don't know what horse girl is. So that's uh, worth noting. Kendall Jenner. A, an equestrian. Yeah, it's like <laughs> came from a little bit of wealth. Really into horses usually. No, I know I know what horse girls are. I wasn't picturing like a half woman, half horse, like centaur S. I was thinking, like, I was fully. Is fully, it a movie I missed? I was fully like waiting to see what Joey was missing because I was on the same wavelength. I was like, yeah, it's like riding boots, kind of like this like constant fall foliage look. <laughs> Davey, you know horse girls, you have them. You're like, I literally do not. Rom coms, Dave. I'm not as anti rom com. I think they could be great. There's they're comfortable. You could live in them. They're fun, but they're fully reliant on the chemistry between the leads and i think this movie works because I, I bought their relationship which is crazy because andy samberg not exuding a lot of sexual energy usually but i think he pulled it off you know yet women find andy samberg sort of like very hot across the board he's like to really? me, an acquired taste <laughs> but every girl i've ever spoken to has such a diverse array of like types of men they're into andy samberg is like a weird constant and i do not understand why i find him attractive I think it's but... like i think it's like he's like a seven or a seven and a half but his charisma is like an 11 right and it shines through in every character he plays and like that goes a really long way like if you've seen pop star his kind of like uh i don't know like faux documentary or whatever you might call it he's He's really funny. He pulls off the like hot Justin Bieber yeah. pop star look, uh, and is like generally likable throughout. Totally, pretty unique trait. As somebody who is like beauty wise a thirteen, but personality wise a three, I find that like he's sort of my opposite in that way. So maybe that's why I can't recognize it. But I do yeah. think it's funny that you call it a rom com. I didn't really think of that. I love romantic comedies, and I feel like the central conceit of a rom-com is like two people who don't like each other at the start who then like each other at the end sort of just like that's it's like most pure form but this is sort of like a 
inversion of a romantic comedy i feel like in some way in which like they've without giving too much away have not liked each other and liked each other many 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 different times <laughs> yeah think? uh so the I was like charmed as hell. I knew the Groundhog Day coming in, but uh, I think Allison didn't when we were watching it. Bree and that opening where you see him just absolutely like slaying the wedding, you know, just incredible dance moves, knows everything that's gonna happen, gives the great speech, all of that, and you, and knowing that it was Groundhog Day, I'm like, oh, this is genius. They're starting in the middle. You know, this guy's already lived this life. That's why he's so smooth. And for Allison, it was just like, who is this man? You know? And it, I think it does work in a better way. Because you're like, oh, this guy is just like the, the wedding expert. He's just the man who knows it. Which is absolutely like a rom A trope. trope. It's a type. Yes. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> it also kind of reminded me, I know this isn't a film, but it did for some reason remind me a lot of the Will Forte sitcom Last Man on Earth. There was just this way in which you sort of, like, were drawn. One, I think it's the sort of, like, rocky alien, like, terrain of, like, just this weird area of the West Coast that truly feels still unfound or something. Like, truly feels alien. And that is something that's really interesting about the movie, which is that it's set, obviously, in Palm Springs. And it kept reminding me how alien Palm Springs kind of is as a space. Like... Mm -hmm. it just has this weird feeling where people were like transported and it feels like an alternate way of living in some way um but yeah for some reason it just reminded me of this will forte show i don't know why i kept thinking of that i think there's something about andy samberg and will forte that like remind me of each other they have this kind of like weird wiriness to them but yeah i just kept thinking of that series but i found andy samberg's performance to be so weirdly deep like i found there his face is just so much more expressive than i think i realize like he is able to show i've always seen him use his face in this like elastic way but i'd never seen him show like hurt or like sadness and it was very interesting to see that for for me for the first time and she she's fucking fantastic ballison brie so good yeah (laughs) Yeah. i mean she was great in Horse Girl, but this is next level. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, I'm actually very excited to talk about this girl when we talk about her pairing, actually. Yeah, I mean, should we just get right I to the pairing? I think we should, yeah. Yeah, Rod, what was the second movie that you thought would be just the perfect uh, aperitif? Aperitif. So, <laughs> I, so that we briefly discussed a couple of the more obvious ones, Groundhog's Day being the most kind of like obvious pairing, and then um, we like briefly talked for a second about doing um, what is it? I always call it Live Die Repeat, Ed, but it's Edge of Edge of Tomorrow, tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow, which oh, also yeah. has these like which the one that you said that was its original name. That was and it, right. Changed the name, right? And the poster yeah. like has the tagline, and you're like, is this the title or is this the tagline? Like, what am <laughs> I looking so at? It's, it's so like we printed all the posters, and they were like, well, we can't respend on posters. Right. Yeah, right. Just, you can just them. find a place to put Edge of Tomorrow. It'd be great. Right. I think just, this will really help the movie. <laughs> yeah, just like move that tank and like put it in the bottom. So we were, I was thinking of a film that we could pair it with that sort of has something to do with like subtextually what's happening in Palm Springs. So we have paired it with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, directed by Michelle Gondry and written by the GOAT, Charlie Kaufman. 
I hadn't. Oh. We, 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 let's take, let's pour one out real quick for Charlie Kaufman, who I like. What a man. For, I oh. really remember, I was like, this is one of our like living, greatest living screenwriters. And I like sometimes mm-hmm. just like sleep on that again because he doesn't work all the time. He's such a genius. Like, I truly don't use that word lightly. Like, he really is a genius. And this is one of the great yep. screenplays, I think, of like the last 20 years. It really is like so gorgeous and so flawless. And the thing that I was trying to like, that I think kind of connected the films in my mind was like both of the films are existentially asking what it means sort of like what one can gain from a fixed experience right like what is like the thing that you can gain as a human being from something where you know the exact pattern and like beats of it right and that is the thing that connects them obviously they're very different films tonally but it was so lovely getting to watch eternal sunshine again which it had been a minute and i loved it all over again i was reading up on uh, eternal sunshine like the press it got when it came out so i was like i love this movie obviously in retrospect it gets on all the lists but like what did people think at the time and there was an amazing a.o scott review in the new york times that was talked the entire thing was about how it was a play on the romantic comedy which I thought was fascinating, but he's hmm. basically like, this is, uh, you know, we have the, what hadn't been dubbed yet, the manic pixie dream girl and this guy, and it's all this relationship. They're trying to find it out. And it's got like the sadness of Charlie Kaufman mixed in and like the, you know, it's, there's parts that are very like on the edge of melodramatic. And if it's anyone besides Charlie Kaufman, it 100%. doesn't work. <laughs> 100%. But, but yeah, I thought it was fascinating that that's a look at the rom-com. Obviously, Palm Springs is too, and it it was such a good pairing. Totally, it is a re- it is a sort of like play on the rom-com because it's moving in the reverse direction of people who do like each other and they end up remembering that they don't, which is such yep. like you're starting at the beginning and starting or you're starting at the end and like working your way back to the beginning, and it's it's so true. I realized when I was watching it, I don't think I've ever seen it all the way through. I think it's a movie that maybe I started once and didn't finish and then like tuned in once or twice, but never got the impact of it just being an amazing film. I loved it. Holy shit, it was so good. (laughs) And I'd say the only negative thing about it is comparing it to Palm Springs. I was like, (laughs) Which is what we're here to do. (laughs) My bad. Yeah, I was like, no, no, I was just like, it's way better than Palm Springs. Like it's a really (laughs) it's a really, really good movie and yeah, the screenplay was insane. Jim Carrey, he's just one of those guys. I think I, I loved him as a comedian, and I never give him credit. He's a serious actor, and any time I rewatch Man on the Moon or Truman Show and now this, I'm like, he's just a fucking good actor, and I, I don't think I give him enough credit. But yeah, it was just really, really good. And even Mark Ruffalo, who is famously one of my least favorite actors in the entire world. <laughs> And when I say Agreed. famously, if Agreed. you listen to, if Wait, you listen are to every podcast, are both of you anti Ruffalo Hive? I don't I think hate I hate Ruffalo. Wow. What, you know what happened was on our old podcast, Dumpster Dive, which probably those episodes don't exist in the world anymore. I think we, we almost, I think it was an accident. We ended up doing like three or four Ruffalo movies <laughs> in like a series of 10 episodes about bad movies. And every time Ruffalo was like the sore thumb of every movie we did. 13 going on podcast. All right. That wow. was a, the alternate title. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so you guys are not watching insane. the HBO series where there are two Mark Ruffalos. 
<laughs> no, I've not I seen too many Mark Ruffalo's already. As it is, please. Yeah. Fair. Fair. Uh, yeah. So even so he you, was charming. See, so Rod, you were going to talk about the two uh, leading ladies in conversation. I thought one other really interesting thing I saw. There was a great piece by Allison Herman, who's now at the Ringer, but this is when she was at Flavor Wire, talking about Clementine as like an argument against the manic pixie dream girl before that idea even existed. It was like dubbed like three years later. Totally. And uh, there's a quote that she pulled out, which I thought was so good that Clementine says to Jim Carrey's character, too many guys think I'm a concept or I complete them or I'm going to make them alive, but I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't, don't assign me yours. And I thought that was like the most beautiful combination of these two leading ladies because it's totally that's what shook me watching it this time and it had been a really i did it had been a really long time since i'd seen it and in my head like clementine and natalie portman in garden state are like the two halves that created this trope that we like literally (laughs) are must do everything in our power to kill um but i hadn't registered how much yeah kaufman writes her as rejecting that idea of a man projecting those very tropes onto her like it's built into it but also what the film makes so clear is that it's her baggage like both of these films are using this idea of the loop the endless loop as a metaphor for baggage right for like the things that you just sort of like hold on to and relive and that toxifies your life Mm -hmm. again and again and yeah she says that but she says it twice she also says it at the end of the movie and doesn't know that she said it before so clearly she is the instigator of this problem for herself right which is so true i think but like that really shook me that this film was so accidentally prophetic in terms of being its own line of defense, <laughs> you know, yeah. and like kind of like ma- like negating that read. But it didn't stop people from using this. I mean, I think Natalie Portman in Garden State gets more of the more of the yeah. side eye, I think, like overall. And I think like this this film's like elevated taste level gives it like a pass, whereas Garden State sort of like NYU Tish ass energy like makes people like <laughs> not get a little bit more or something. But, you know, this is one half of that. I think Garden State came out when? 2004, 2005? It's not, it's like within two years of Eternal Sunshine. It is a thing. But the thing that I I thought was so interesting watching Palm Springs was the character of Sarah feels like, you know, the modern incarnation of this type of female that you fall for, which is like the modern manic pixie dream girl is not whimsical. She's very like misanthropic. Like it's this sort of like Lizzie Kaplan um Aubrey Plaza there's this sort of like almost Gen X kind of sensibility and this kind of like just like I don't know like darkness isn't right because the film has so much lightness but it is no but it's not like a nihilism nihilism nihilism. correct yeah right nihilism in which feels exactly the opposite of pixie dream girl right but But functions the same it's cousin right it's it's cousin exactly one thing I really appreciated about the character in Palm Springs is she's from Austin, which is where I live. Yeah. And uh, it really felt (laughs) like, it really felt like they researched like what this woman would be like today from Austin, Mm -hmm. which was pretty unique. Like her outfit was very Austin when she has like the short shorts that are kind of ripped and like the tank top. It's like, I feel like I've met that person before specifically in Austin and in no other city that I've been in. It felt like the research was really there and she was like a very well uh, researched and kind of fleshed out character, which I appreciated. It's clearly written by people like 
our contemporaries in our age. Andy Samberg's always a trip because he went to Berkeley High, like, what, like, four years before us, five years before us. It feels like, oh, shit, these are people we've actually met. Like, every mm-hmm. character in this in this movie feels like a real person. And I think that's why rom-coms usually don't work, because it's usually, like, very rich people in New York that <laughs> don't feel especially yeah. relatable. And I think these were, like, clearly L.A. people who are, like, doing pretty well working tech or whatever and drive out to palm springs for the weekend totally in the same way that yeah. you know somebody was seeing eternal sunshine and was like in their 20s then and yep. are now in their 40s and they knew this girl this clementine girl i mean like there is a way in which like it was just funny to watch eternal sunshine which is again like a masterful like film like literally a film but it is so like of that time like it has this sort of like early 2000s like quirk kind i hate that word but like it is this like thing that we grew up with when we were in like high school or like middle school or something and bad beanies all of that you know know? (laughs) but it was just funny to watch this film that yeah it's like this girl, Sarah in Palm Springs, is somebody that like you recognize Davy and there was just a way where I was watching this. I was like, I feel like this was a this isn't like an imagined person. It's like this was a these tropes are based on real sort of moments and traits of an era, I feel like in some way. It, it feels like somebody wrote the char- character, they're like, What would my ex girlfriend be like if she was stuck in a time loop? Mm-hmm. You know, like it <laughs> yeah, feels like they're really thinking close. about a real person or <laughs> something mm-hmm. like that. One thing that did feel a little bit different to me between the two movies, I'd love your guys' take on this. Eternal Sunshine didn't make me feel like they wanted us to really like either of the characters. Like, we were drawn to them, but I don't know that you feel like, oh, either of these people are good people in a bad situation or whatever. Like, no one's that likable. And I felt like in Palm Springs, they really made Andy Sandberg and Kristen Milioti, and honestly, even J.K. Simmons at the end, like, very likable characters. You don't really walk away from that movie thinking, oh, they're crazy or unreasonable or shitty or super flawed. Whereas Eternal Sunshine, I didn't leave that movie. I finished it 30 minutes ago thinking, like, <laughs> oh, those guys are great. I'm so sad that happened to them. Like, oh, well, they've, I'm so glad I don't know any of those people. I agree. Yeah, yeah I think that there's a there was a part of... I would say my biggest issue with Palm Springs, they didn't go far enough with the, uh, is it Kristen Milotti? Is that how you say the name? I think like so. Milotti or Milotti. Or Milotti, yeah. Didn't go far enough with that character. Cause I think there's like, you have like the back of her baseball card is bad. Like mm-hmm. she fucked her. <laughs> she fucked the fiance. She did all this stuff. She's like kind of a shitty person, but everything you see of her, it's all like, what a delight. So justifiable. They throw in the weird, like, she also gets really into astrophysics and, like, fixes the problem. That, was a, very, like, that was a very Lonely Island stretch of joke. That yeah, entire yeah. sequence of her learning quantum physics in, during a montage. <laughs> it felt like they were kind of like, all right, we've boxed ourselves into this corner. Right. We need right. to get ourselves out. It would be pretty funny and unexpected for this woman to figure this out. And it's like, uh, that, I, I felt like they could have gone darker. I agree well, with you, David. It made sense with the quantum physics thing a little bit because one thing they kind of played on, especially with Sandberg's character, when we meet him, he's like perfect at darts. And he's 
Like, everything he does, he's really good at because he's practiced it so much. Yeah. And I think when you watch these time loop movies, you think, what would I do if I could just rehearse it over and over and over again? And it's always dumb shit, like, get perfect at darts. (laughs) Like, yeah, Yeah. like, get really good at these random things. And it's like, I don't know, astrophysics seems like a pretty good place to focus your time. (laughs) That's true. The Malcolm Gladwellian, like, 10,000 hours is, like, most (laughs) beneficial in a time loop. For sure. Totally. Totally. But I yeah. agree with you, Joey. Uh, I do feel like the film doesn't go super deep. And I agree with you too, Davey, in that like there's something about how and I I wish I could go back and watch how I watched Eternal Sunshine when I was younger and see if I like liked those characters or if I even perceived the need to like or not like a character at all or viewed that as subversive to not to. But they both seem so ill-suited for each other. To me, now, at this age, they both seem like exactly the type of person that would trigger the other. And in that way, you're seeing both of them through each other's eyes, and they're so toxic through through the other person's eyes, and so it's impossible kind of to like them. You don't not like them, but like, there's just a way in which Clementine goads like um, Jim Carrey's character so intensely. Like, every mistake becomes yeah. this, like scab that she like picks at and there's so much like vitriol in her anger but there's and you what's so funny is that the version of her you do like is his imagined version of her (laughs) you know that's not her but i also think uh important thing speaking of like going to that place this was kate winslet from titanic and jim carrey from being jim carrey in the 90s Mm. and this is like they had that power still titanic's 97 mm-hmm. what like ace ventura's and dumb and dumber in 94 jim carrey is one of the this wasn't his first serious movie though was it no this was he had gone i actually wrote this down because it was, it was interesting he did truman show uh late 90s man on the moon beginning of the 2000s then did the majestic and then did this oh. and he's clearly like trying to win his oscar what the, you know, and the... Then, the name The Majestic just took the breath out of my body. I right? forgot about <laughs> I forgot that movie the existed. Not, yeah. The movie sucked. <laughs> but I do think that there is still, like, understanding that there's a built-in love for both of these actors at that moment makes it that you could get away with a lot more, like, toxic behavior and stuff. Because yes. it's like, this is this person. This is Jim Carrey, who I know and love being kind of like a schmuck this is kate winslet from fucking titanic like come on what you're talking (laughs) about is the movie star you're literally talking about what a movie star (laughs) does which is they've already earned your love so they can do Mm -hmm. anything and it doesn't matter that's exactly right can we quickly talk about jim carrey's three consecutive oscar snubs for nomination we're talking even snub for being nominated like Truman Show, Man on the Moon, and this. Like, what's this about? Like, how can Jim Carrey, one of our great movie stars, have gone 0 for 3 on just being nominated for these movies? Because Kate Winslet yeah. got nominated for this. Did she not? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think so. I, I don't think, the, think that, the, uh, I don't think Jimmy deserved a nomination for this one, although this movie is exceptional. But Man on the Moon and Truman Show, to not even have his name mentioned, like, those are not only unreal performances, but they're unreal performances from someone. It's like when Shia LaBeouf will finally get his Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, fuck, he is a good actor. We didn't even realize. And that's kind of how it happened with Jim Carrey around this time. Also, it's insane. Totally. And, and what's, man- so, what's so sad is that he 
goes back to kids movies like right after this like he clearly took his shot literally was in a movie that won the best screenplay oscar which is the oscar they give to people who are like outside the oscar system Mm -hmm. and they're like all right like quentin tarantino always wins that you know like charlie kaufman that's what he gets like this is like yes this was the best movie but we're not going to admit it we're going to give it to some bullshit uh and he's in that movie and he doesn't get a nomination right and you see him be like all right fuck you like <laughs> totally I'll go do mr popper's penguins or whatever you yeah know? <laughs> so much i don't know if you guys like follow jim carrey's sort of like present day sense of being which is on some like something between buddhism and like actual mania like i don't like whatever the tension is between those two things is where jim carrey currently lives and i do feel like that stretch that we're talking about into like being like okay i'll do like bruce almighty okay i'll do like just these movies that then became like multi-million like hundred million dollar summer blockbusters i feel like whatever that instilled in him whatever darkness is currently in him which is what i feel from jim carrey right now this sort of nihilism frankly has come from the exact thing we're talking about, <laughs> which is like, yeah. I think, uh, I think you need to watch the, uh, man on the moon documentary that came out oh, recently. I saw Jim, it. And, Jim Andy. and Andy. <laughs> there was some darkness there before. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I think that it's uh, it, it was probably just like trying to imagine where his head was at. It was like, let's see which movies did I make more money for? And which mm-hmm. movies were harder work? And then he was like, mm-hmm. well, It'd be pretty easy to just do another comedy where I don't have to do much and have like two slapstick scenes, like a yes man that has its moments, but is mostly a bullshit movie. Uh, Or like I could dive really deep into another character and do my next man on the moon. But like for what? For what? Or like the Grinch. Jim Carrey doesn't phone shit in. It's just like, I would rather see his, the Academy not be snobby and have him being focusing that incredible talent and energy towards something 100 yeah. percent. i feel like it kind of also speaks to how like the academy is so like comedy agnostic that their inability to see comedy as work or as labor or as artistry is so intense that it even prevents them from seeing you a comedian when you change into being a dramatic actor like i literally think yep. it's such heavy blinders <laughs> that they don't even see that switch as anything it's such a weird stench that comedy has in the on like for some reason to the academy it's so crazy to me like eddie murphy doesn't have an oscar like legend literally like bill murray doesn't doesn't have an oscar correct it's just like how like how does this happen like and how does jim carrey one of our truly our generations like one of his like the top five biggest stars of our time right go so mm-hmm. somehow how does he gross hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars biggest like paid actor of all time and somehow be like underrated like at the same time like only the academy it's could crazy. do that magic trick <laughs> well you, here's a question you guys think sandberg gets a nomination for palm springs maybe in this weird ass <laughs> that's what i was thinking there's <laughs> i don't know what's getting nominated like could this literally get like a screenplay nomination like <laughs> I, if there are 25 movies that come out total, like, this right. might be one of them. This literally might be one of them. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's it's so impossible to imagine what it's going to look like. And I guess I also want to know, what did you guys feel about this film as like a streaming viewing that to me still looked cinematic? Like I, for some reason, like when 
I know this movie's on Hulu. I can't not see like the Hulu-ness of it and like the small scale of it, but I do believe it was intended to be in theaters. Like how did the streaming thing affect you guys or do you guys not care about that at all? I think it would have I mean, I think the reason it sold for 18 million or whatever it sold for is that it's it seems like a perfect theater movie. Mm-hmm. Like it worked on streaming, which is a testament to it because streaming movies suck and you have your phone too close and there's all like the distractions of it and you can pause it but like this seems fantastic for a theater totally it's like a bummer it's a bummer that it's not and i think it also seems like the kind of movie that gets like the festival buzz you know it's like oh you didn't expect this but it's great let me tell everyone about it let's talk about it afterwards let's do all of that so i think it makes a lot of sense that this is like the biggest Sundance sale. Totally. You could have. Yeah. It hit some good notes as a theater movie. Some of the landscapes are really big. Some of the visuals are really incredible. The music is really big in Palm Springs. Like it hits really hard. So I could see that being big in a theater. But it works as a streaming movie. To go back to like one that we thought about, Edge of Tomorrow to me, incredible theater movie. Like that movie it'll never be as good as watching it in theaters mm-hmm. because it's so big. I think Palm Springs works in both packages. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rewatch it and I'd feel good rewatching it on a small TV, showing it to somebody edge of tomorrow. I wouldn't, we won't have to do all the categories. We've talked about these movies a lot, but I think a very important one, which works perfectly for this movie, uh, freaky Friday. <coughs> Can you, I think more than any movie we've done, you could switch the leads in this movie. Like, I think it works perfectly. With I Jim think so Carey too. As Andy Sandberg, yeah. I think so too. I yeah. I one hundred percent think so. I don't know about a flip in the opposite direction. I don't know if Sandberg could hold his own in Eternal Sunshine. Uh, I would but, love to see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I really would not mind seeing him give it a shot. But Jim Carrey would kill it in a movie like Palm Springs. And the characters, yeah. I feel like Jim Carrey's character would make like he li- he acts like somebody who has literally lived one day over <laughs> forever in Eternal Sunshine. Yeah, they're both nihilist, but like one of them is really like sad and pouty about it, and one of them's really found like his zen, his groove. Yeah, <laughs> but... yeah. yeah. <laughs> what would Kate Winslet's character be doing if she found herself in just like a repeat day over and over again? Oh, just just disaster agent <laughs> just fucking truly <laughs> truly ruining just the wedding every people. day <laughs> yes we're talking about someone who literally is like dying her hair and shit she'd probably shave her head like literally i think she'd become a, ter- a terrorist for 24 hours i actually think that she'd become like a u.s al-qaeda like plant until jk simmons puts her down yeah exactly it becomes actually a movie about jk simmons hunting this terrorist in Palm Springs, <laughs> which is Clementine. He's great. He's really good. Like his quick pop-up is awesome. In we Palm love Springs. seeing JK. He, he's, I think my two favorite characters between these two movies are JK Simmons and David Cross. David <laughs> Cross is awesome in Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. We haven't even talked about the supporting characters. That is true. That fucking cast is incredible. Just get a random Kirsten Dunst in there. Come on. Come on. Elijah Wood. (laughs) Forgot about that. Elijah Wood. Yeah, that's the beauty of, uh, I guess, like, if this will be the last question, but Eternal Sunshine is, as we were talking about the movie stars, is cast with these people who have 
so much like giant big budget cachet coming into a movie and i don't know if they're playing off it if they're using that as a movie star tactic but like if you're recasting that movie now we don't have to go too deep but let's say jim carrey uh uh elijah wood and why am i blanking on the leading kate ladies winslet. Kate, winslet. kate winslet yeah if you're recasting those roles, what what cachet plays are you using to get the stars in there? I have some ideas, but you guys go. I kind of honestly feel like the entire cast of Silver Linings Playbook could be just carried over <laughs> into Eternal Sunshine. I don't know. Yeah, I, Bradley Cooper would, I think he'd be really good in that role. He's awesome. And same with J-Law. She could totally pull that off, and her character is actually a lot like Kate Winslet in Silver Lining. There's like notes of like there's like notes of the of the former like in the latter. I feel like somehow we can't just do Twilight. You're not. I know you hate <laughs> Kristen Stewart, but like let's be real here. If you're going from big budget, <laughs> I want to see Kristen let's get Stewart. Pattinson and Kristen Stewart back together again. I want to just <laughs> pluck her out and put her in the Kirsten Dunst role. That's where I want to at put her. At most. At most. I, I, want Kirsten, <laughs> I want Kirsten Stewart as a cameo at, like, the bonfire in, like, Montauk. Like, literally get her as far away from me as possible. Like She's your literally. Ruffalo? Is this what we're hearing? She's now? my Ruffalo. 100% she's my Ruffalo. Like... She's all eight of the Ruffalos that you did in in the former podcast in one for me. That's how much Rod, I dislike. I, I know your theory that the French are the only thing holding Kristen Stewart up. Only thing. You only think Michelle thing. Gondry doesn't want Kristen Stewart in this remake? Oh <laughs> you got no my, chance. This is you've literally created my hellish like my hellscape, which is Eternal Sunshine with Kristen Stewart is in the lead. <laughs> Truly, in every way, that's my hell. She I feel won't like be the lead. In no, in she no universe, the, the devil, the devil doesn't have that much time on his hands. Yeah, I think J Law could do it. J Law could pull off the Kate Winslet. You could get Bradley Cooper in the Jim Carrey. We could stick somebody in that Kirsten Dunst role. Let's pluck up <laughs> Emma Stone, somebody who'd be fun in that role. Or like Aquafina. And- I feel like someone with like a little cachet or something that like people kind of like sure. or some shit. Like you know what I mean? Who's who's the kid who who's the kid who plays Spider Man? Tom Holland playing the Elijah Wood creep. <laughs> oh, I could get into that. I could get into that. We you need know, to I could even him. get into Andy Sandberg playing the Elijah Wood Ooh, creep. Yeah, that's how we I'm get totally him in cool here. Totally cool with that. Totally. But then, who who do you sub out Ruffalo for? There's not a name you could say that would bum me out. I mean, anybody <laughs> in place of Ruffalo <laughs> would be fine. I got bad news, Dave. It's Ruffalo again. Yeah, <laughs> he's sticking. <laughs> Ruffalo is the only one that sticks. He's the only character in this movie that is unreplaceable. Yeah, Dave, I hate to break it to you. If it's not broke, don't fix it. We're going Ruffalo. It's gotta be. It's gotta be M Ruff. Yeah, you know, there's very few people I want to see dance on a bed in their underwear less than Mark Ruffalo, and I had to watch that an hour ago. It was really upsetting. You're still working. I'm just it. gonna I'm gonna direct I'm this podcast working. and say we're gonna leave this podcast with a we're gonna have Mark Ruffalo <laughs> in spotlight overacting, taking us out. Yeah, that's roll us out, roll us out. Ruffalo. It was fun, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Thanks you for this for, episode. Uh, picking two good movies, Rod. Heaven.
It's time, Robbie. It's time. They knew, and they let it happen to kids. Okay? It could have been you. It could have been me. It could have been any of us. Thank you.